Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. The year ahead will certainly be filled with all kinds of blessings and trials, challenges and opportunities. But this year, we are resolved to trust God no matter what the circumstance and to follow Jesus wherever he leads us, to forgive those who've wronged us and to bless others with the words that we speak, resolved to pray without ceasing and to study God's word with diligence, to be the first to serve and the last to complain, to love at all times, to work unto the Lord and to be generous with all that we have, resolved to cherish the beauty all around us and to spread joy in our community, to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, to live in faith and not in fear, to exemplify humility, integrity, and gratitude, to honor Christ with our time, treasures, and talents, to make a difference with our lives and to give glory to God in all things. This year, we are resolved. That's what you are this year as we begin a new year. Uh, man, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And uh, I hope that you paid attention as Chad uh, so diligently was teaching us as we prepared that song as a choir to focus in on the lyrics of what God has done for each and every one of us uh, through his son, Jesus Christ. Man, if, if, if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab your Bible. I pray that you have it with you this morning. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. And as you do, man, it is good. In fact, we saw Brother Jerry Stanley last Sunday looking good, moving great. It's good to see Miss Rosalie and Russell Dodd. It is so good to see you uh, come strolling in here today. Praise the Lord to see him in the Lord's house. And uh, each and every one of you, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, we're going to conclude, uh, some of you say, wah, 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 or maybe some of you say, thank you. But we're going to conclude our, our message series on Resolve today. And we've talked about Resolve, this idea of being strongly determined to manage well every sacred trust that we have been given by God. Everything that God has blessed us with, we've been talking about this idea that we would become strongly determined in our effort to manage it well. And so we've looked at a number of subjects, and, and I mean, we've talked about time, we've, with the time that God allows us. We've talked about the very truth of His Word. We've talked about uh, the very gift of life that God gives us to be resolved, to, to manage it well, the life that we have, and to, to serve the Lord. And, and Travis talked to us about being resolved to, to, to manage well our resources, uh, uh, to be generous and, and to be genuine in our resources. And, and we talked last week, and, and maybe let's take a little poll just for a second as we get started. We talked about uh, managing well our speech. Now, if you're like me, 
probably as soon as you left here, you were challenged in how you used your speech last Sunday. Anybody? Anybody have like, on! we just learned about our speech, and here I am. I, I, I'm going to be open and honest. I told the Wednesday night Bible study crowd the first thing that my dear wife and I did. Now, remember, I'm the one preaching on it. We had a little disagreement. <laughs> Sunday afternoon. And do you all know who was at the center of our disagreement? I should have put a picture of him up there. The colonel. My little dog was at the center of our disagreement uh, last Sunday. And so we were reminded even in that moment that we need to manage well. We need to put some rain pressure every once in a while uh, to use the, uh, the horse vernacular. We need to put some rain pressure on our lips. And so uh, this morning I want to finish our series by talking really to you just, just for a few moments of time on the sacred trust that each and every one of us have to worship God. Our worship of God. Because to be honest, uh, in light of who he is and all that he has done for us, that should be our natural response. This idea of worship should just come natural above and beyond everything. And so what I want us to be clear of, though, is that true worship, if you don't get anything else, get this, true worship is all about God and nothing else. Worship is about God and nothing else. And, and so as we begin, that means, uh, let me stop here for a second, that means that our rituals, that's not worship, uh, and I love music, but our music is, is an expression of our worship, right? And we can look at art, we can look at music, we can talk about the things that we do. These are all expressions of our devotion to God. But when we talk about worship, it's about much more than simply expressing ourselves, right? Worship is about much more than just that. It's about our reverence. It's about our reverence of God. It's about adoring Him. It's about honoring Him in and with our lives. In fact, our worship of God is that thing that causes us to be the very best stewards of all those things I already mentioned. Listen, when we worship God, when we have a right understanding, remember we used the illustration of Isaiah when he saw the Lord high and lifted up last, last week, right? The last thing. He, when he saw and he realized who God was, he said, woe is me. He said, for I am a man, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And so it was his recognition of who God was that really convicted even Isaiah, God's chosen prophet during that time. To, to deal with his own problem, and that was his speech. And so this morning, if you have your Bible, look with me in Matthew chapter 15. We're going to get started here, but we're going to look at a number of different passages, and I pray that it will be a blessing to you. Notice with me, beginning in verse number 1, Matthew chapter 15. And the Bible says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto him, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? You see, many times people would come to Jesus, they'd ask him a question, he'd turn it around by asking them a question. Verse number three, or verse number four, he says, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother. And he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. He said, But you guys, he says, You say, Whosoever will say to his father or his mother, It is a gift. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father and his mother, he shall be free. 
He says, thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. And then he says in verse number 7, he says, you hypocrites. Well did Esaias prophesy unto you, saying, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He said, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines. Notice what he says. In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for the day that you've given us opportunity to worship you, to sing songs of praise, to express our gratitude, to express our devotion and adoration to you. And Lord, I pray that each and every one in this room and those who are watching took time to be involved in that opportunity, an opportunity that we have not claimed that, that is lost. If we didn't take that opportunity to worship you in that way, to express our devotion to you, it's been lost. And so, Lord, I pray that even we would learn from that. Lord, that we would be mindful that this gift that you've given us, this gift of life, this very breath that you've given us and, and the truth of your word and the resources and on and on, all of the things that you've blessed us with. And so, Lord, I pray that, that our worship of you, that, that everything that you have done and who you are would dictate that. Lord, I pray as always that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight because you are my strength and my redeemer. Lord, I give you the praise in advance for working through your word and teaching us all how we might better understand what it means to worship you and to be resolved in our worship of you. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you look back with me here in our passage, we find a very powerful message right here within these few short verses of scripture and Jesus if you notice look back here at verses one and following Jesus is actually being interrogated by the way this is what took place many times Jesus would be out teaching he would be out healing he would be out ministering to the people right and the scribes and the Pharisees they would come time and time again to interrogate him and so he's being interrogated by the scribes and Pharisees again in verse number one it says then came to Jesus the scribes and Pharisees who were Jerusalem and they said why do your disciples, by the way, today during Watchmen, we're going to be talking, we're going to have a little discussion about discipleship, but I want you to know that it's found right here in this verse, men, if you haven't been a part of Watchmen, I encourage you to join us at 5 o'clock today, we'll be meeting back in the Roots College and Career Room, a great opportunity for you to get connected with other men, right, and so it's very important that you take up these opportunities, but Jesus, they said, why do your disciples, in other words, that word disciples literally means why do your followers, why do your learners, why do your students, that's what a disciple is, a student, a learner, a follower. It says why do your students transgress the traditions of men? That's what they're talking about, right? He says why do they do this? He says they don't even wash their hands when they eat. Anybody been guilty of that? They would have talked about you too. He says, they don't wash their hands. But notice in verse 3, Jesus answered and he says, hold on. He says, I hear what you're saying. He said, but why do you transgress the commandment of God? He says, by your traditions. And so the scribes, they accused Jesus' followers of transgressing traditions. 
And Jesus flips the script like he does many times, and he literally points out the fact that these guys who were accusing and talking about his followers, he says, you guys are guilty of transgressing the, 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 the commandments of God by your traditions. And so in this moment, I think every one of us have to ask ourselves a question. Either God's word is going to govern our lives, or the traditions of men or something else will govern it. See, we're either, we're either going to follow what God has to say for us, or we're going to make the choice to follow what somebody else has to say. And so it's always been my policy that the best policy is to follow what Jesus has to say in his word to us, right? And so not every tradition, let me just say this, not every tradition is bad. That doesn't mean that, like, you can't do something. Not every tradition is bad or sinful. But, friends, when something is added to, watch this, when something is added to, when something is subtracted from, or when something runs counter to the word of God, it's a problem. And Jesus said, you guys are guilty of transgressing the commandment of God. Look at verse 6. Jesus says, hey, listen, you've made the commandment of God. He says, you've made it void. You've made it of none effect by your tradition. And so in verse number 9, <clears throat> maybe my voice will cooperate with me here in a second. In verse number 9, you see Jesus alludes to the fact that they're actually teaching for doctrines. That word doctrine speaks of what is right. They're teaching what is, they're teaching this idea of doctrine, what is right by the commandments of men. And so in other words, what they were doing is they were elevating what thus saith man to the same level or even higher in many cases to what thus saith the Lord. We got to be careful of that. We got to be careful of that because it comes into play in every aspect of our life, especially with our worship. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but if you guys will throw up 2 Timothy chapter 3. In verse 16 and 17, uh, it's an important thing for us to understand what God has to say when it comes to anything. Look what he says. It says here, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And he says, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then he goes on, that the man, that's neutered, so the person, man or woman, of God may be perfect, truly furnished or fully equipped unto good works. Notice those words in verse number 16. You see the words doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. I've said it many times. Doctrine is what is right. Reproof is, hey, it's good to teach you what is not right. Correction is how to teach you what, how to get right. And then instruction in righteousness, uh, literally how to stay right. So what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right can all be found right here in the Word of God. Isn't that good? And so Jesus is saying, hey, you guys, you guys come, and you're talking about these guys not washing their hands before they eat bread, and yet you guys are teaching, you're elevating what man has to say above even what God has to say. And he says, that's not right. And so we, too, have to take and proceed with caution. The reality is, if we're going to be resolved... To worship God, listen, if we're going to be resolved to worship God in private and in public and on and on, our worship must never be based on what's comfortable. 
sometimes worshiping God in the sight of what's going on in 2024 will not be comfortable. But you still have to stand up. Listen, we, sometimes, listen, I, I said, not all traditions are bad. So despite our comfortability, despite what traditions may say, our worship must be based on who God is and what God says to us through his word and through his spirit. In fact, A.W. Tozer once said this. He said, worship is the missing jewel in the church today. He said, we ought to search for this missing jewel until we find it. It's missing in the church today. Guys, I am so incredibly thankful for the facilities that we have, but this facility is not worship. I'm so thankful that we were able to put in a beautiful sound system and video system, and sometimes it cooperates. But that's not worship. Worship is much deeper. It's much deeper. When we sing, we're expressing our worship. When we pray, we're expressing our worship. When we're in the Word of God, we're expressing our worship. When we feed the hungry, when we come alongside a brother and sister and we love them and we encourage them, we're worshiping God. We're saying, God, you are most important, not me. Worship, you might want to take these down. These are going to be rapid fire, just thoughts off the cuff. Worship is the ultimate priority by which all of us were created. It's the ultimate priority for which all of us were created. In Mark chapter 12, even Jesus said this. He said, remember the Pharisees, they come to him and they want to know what's the greatest commandment. And Jesus says in Mark 12, 30, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, with all of thy mind, and with all of thy strength. And he said, this is the first commandment. And then you guys know he goes on and he talks about the second, right? Is to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so the reality in that particular couple of verses there in Mark chapter 12, you can also find it in Matthew 22. Jesus is making a reference to the Shema all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 6. But the greater point that is being made by Jesus in this point and even back in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is that this type of love that he's talking about, loving the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul and mind and strength, this type of love is a call and a reminder to worship. Do we worship? Number two, worship is the pattern of the Old Testament. Number three, worship is the practice of the New Testament. Worship is to be our primary responsibility before God. Worship is the prerequisite for all effective service. You remember the devil took, led Jesus out in the wilderness. And, and in Luke's gospel, Luke puts it this way in Luke 4. In uh, the devil, he's tempting Jesus. And here's what he says. He says, if thou therefore will worship me... The devil said, hey, worship me, Jesus. Yeah, right. You think Jesus was going to say, okay. No, he says, hey, worship me. He says, and all shall be thine. I'm going to give it all to you, Jesus, if you'll just worship me. Well, Jesus answered in verse 8 and said, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall thou worship, and him only shall thou serve. So the reality is Jesus said there's one who we worship and there's one who we serve. Number six, uh, worship is the passion of our God. You remember Jesus, he, he has a, an appointment with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And uh, his disciples are off into the, uh, the town getting lunch, so to speak. And, and they come back on the scene a little bit later. And Jesus, he's talking to the woman at the well. And as he's talking to her, 
he gets to uh, John chapter 4 and verse number 23. He tells this woman at the well, he said that the father, he says, my father is seeking, watch what he says, true worshipers. He's seeking true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. Friends, as believers, as those who have been called out as a baptized uh, assembly of baptized believers, we've called, been called together in this place. The reality is that we have been called to worship. Can I tell you that happens on every day? Not just Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Not just during Bible study at 9 o'clock. Not just on Wednesday nights through our Wana Bible clubs and, and middle school and high school ministries and children's ministries and upward basketball and cheer. It, it, it's to permeate our lives, this idea of worship. And so if we're going to be resolved to worship the Lord, I want to remind us of a few things, uh, a, a few types of, watch this air quotes, few types of worship that God does not accept. All right, so here they are. A few types of worship that God does not accept. Number one, he doesn't accept insincere worship. Anybody out there today? He does not accept insincere worship. Look in our text in Matthew chapter 15. In verse number 8, Jesus puts it this way. He says, the people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Is that a problem? That's a problem. He says, their heart's far from me. In verse number 9, he says, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And so Jesus is literally referencing what was said in Isaiah 29 in verse number 13 here. It's very similar, right? It says, wherefore the Lord said, for as much as his people draw near me with their mouth, their lips do honor me, but they have removed their heart. They have removed their heart far from me. But notice the last part of Isaiah 29. And their fear or their reverence towards me is taught by the precept. What does he say? Taught by the precept of men. Listen, when we draw near to God vis-a-vis -vis our acts or our expressions of worship, which I've already outlined, or our outward devotion, the fruit of our lips, and, and on and on giving thanks, which I'll, I'll kind of highlight at the very end, when we do that, if we do it, but we do not have, watch this, if we do it and we do not have or exercise a deep love and devotion, a holy reverence, and a holy obedience to the Lord, Jesus says it's useless. He said it's vain. I don't accept insincere worship. Here's another one. He said I don't accept ignorant worship either. You, you say, are you calling me ignorant? No, no. We can find it in the Bible. We don't have to point the finger at ourselves, but sometimes we're guilty of it, all of us. Look in John chapter 4 also, before he tells the Samaritan woman that God is looking for uh, true worshipers, here's what Jesus said to the woman in verse 23 or 22. He says, you worship, you know not what. In other words, he says, you have no clue what you're worshiping. You say, well, where else do we find this? Well, in Acts chapter 17, you remember the Apostle Paul. He's on Mars Hill, and he's talking to the men there of Athens. And in verse number 22 of Acts chapter 17, here's what Paul says. It says, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, ye men of Athens, I preserve that in all things that you are too superstitious. We got any superstitious people here? He says, you're too superstitious. Is what he says. He says, for as I passed by and I beheld 
I saw it and I heard it. I experienced, I watched what you were doing as I passed by and I beheld your devotions. Watch what he says. He says, I found an altar. He says, I found, you all had built, you all had constructed something. He says, so I found this altar and it had this inscription on it. To the unknown God. He says, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. He says, I got good news for you. I'm going to declare him to you right now. He said, no sense to be ignorant in your worship. I'm going to tell you all about him. Listen, as believers, God has not called us to ignorantly worship him. He has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. There's no need to worship some unknown God because we can know him through the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, a few of you are waking up. By the way, he wants us to... Through Jesus, he, he not only wants us to know him, he wants us to worship him, even as Jesus said to the woman at the well, in spirit and in truth. Not only does he want us to know him, but he wants us to worship him in this way. I put in my notes, if we don't know Jesus, watch this, if we don't know Jesus, we cannot know God. And if we don't know God, then there's no way that we can worship. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. And if you don't know God, then there's no way that you're going to worship him, let alone in spirit and truth. Worshiping God is more than just, as the old song goes, being hooked on a feeling. Listen, I got hooked on a feeling a long time ago. Her name was Krista. I had to pray long and hard for about two seconds. To discover that was God's will for my life. She, on the other hand, took many, many years. It was a long process. All the ladies say, yeah, that's about how it goes. <laughs> the men are like, <laughs> we were joking this morning, like even with Chad and Courtney, like, okay, Chad, I'll marry you. Okay. <laughs> right. It's like, the reality is, we can't worship God if we don't know him. Worshiping is being more than hooked on a feeling. It's more than experiencing some emotion today or tomorrow or whatever. A lot of times you go into, listen, different places of, watch this, worship, and it's all about hooked on a feeling. And I'm not saying there aren't true worshipers there because when David came back, listen, be careful about judging people because when David came back, remember, he was dancing a dance to the Lord. He was worshiping. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that you can't have a good time when you worship Jesus, but that's an expression of your worship. That's not worship. That's an expression of it, right? And so we have to be careful. There are dangers out there. So insincere worship, ignorant worship. Uh, there's also the danger of improper worship, right? And you can see that in Romans chapter 1, the most clearly illustration we have uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, there's a lot of illustrations, but I think the best uh, New Testament illustration is in Romans chapter 1. And the Bible tells us in verse 25 that these people were, were people who were changing. It says they would change the truth of God into a lie. And the Bible says, and they worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. It was improper. They had, they had uh, formulated something in their mind that they were worshipping because they had changed the truth of God into a lie. And you know what? The Bible says a few verses later that God gave them over to the reprobate mind. 
to do those things that were pleasing in their sight. Listen, we have to be careful for improper worship as well. Likewise, we've got to steer clear of idolatrous worship. Listen, this is when we uh, this is the practice of relating to or praying to or holding some uh, venerated uh, a- amulet or or some type of um, uh, image or representation of God. And, and what we do many times is we have these images or these replicas or, or whatever it is, and, and we use it as an object of worship, right? And so uh, we have to be careful with that. To put it bluntly, someone said it this way, an idol is something that you worship instead of God. I wonder... An idol is something you worship instead of God. Let's be careful. Let's let's be honest with one another, but let's be careful. If, please, no, please, no, I'm a dad. I have children. But if I worship my children, watch it. If my children come before God, I'm in trouble. I joke a lot about my wife. But let me just tell you something. There's no doubt in my mind. There's never been a doubt in my mind that this woman loves me. But I got news for you. She doesn't worship me. You know, even though there's times I wish she did. (laughs) I'm being facetious, right? We have to be careful of worshiping our things. Worshiping our homes, worshiping our cars, our, our, our retirement uh, villas, our, our, our whatever it is, our motorcycles, our RVs, what, you, you can fill in the blank. We have to be careful because, see, if we're not careful, we're no better than what we read in Scripture. Our worship becomes idolatrous. Listen, it could be anything, and, and, and an idol is anything that we use to try and worship the one true God. I mean, I'm talking about from statues to jewelry to artwork to any article, anything. You put it in the blank. We have to be very, very careful because in Exodus chapter 20, Jesus made it, uh, God made it abundantly clear. Notice it said, thou shall have no other gods in verse 3 and following. Thou shall have no other gods before me. Thou shall not make unto thee any graven image. Or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Verse 5, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. In other words, God even uses the word hate at the end of this description of putting things above him. You think about it, you remember, and turn there if, you, if you'd like. It's on page 64. You'll get close there if you turn to, to Exodus chapter 32. In Exodus chapter 32, you remember Moses goes up the mountain to receive God's law. And look at verse number 1, Exodus chapter 32. And it tells us that when the people, that as Moses is up in the mountain, he's gone up to receive the law from God, that the people, they literally come, they literally come to Aaron, and they're like, get up! Now, the Bible just says up. In other words, they're like, get out of your tent. Get up. And they say, make us gods. Time out. We better be careful about making gods. 
We're not in the, we have no ability, we, we have no business making gods, but sometimes we do that. We, we make gods out of things, and when I say gods, I mean lower G, not capital G, but we make gods out of little things. Notice the people say, they say, up, make us gods, which shall go before us, and so they're fully intending to make something that's going to be like leading the parade from that point on, and then in verse 2, Aaron, he says, he tells them, he says, well, he says, you want God? He says, you go on and break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters and bring them unto me. Look at verse 4. In verse number 4, the Bible highlights that when it was all said and done, here's what Aaron, it says Aaron fashioned it. So they say, get up, make us gods that are going to go before us. Aaron says, hey, break off all the earrings and bring them back to me. And then when they do that, the Bible says that Aaron fashioned it. Look at verse 4. Fashioned it with the graving tool, and after he had made it a molten calf, I guess he was a fan of Chick-fil-A, um, made a molten calf, and they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Hold on a second. They decide they're going to make some kind of little statue, and they're going to worship this little statue. That's like me deciding I'm going to worship this candle holder. That's ridiculous. But that's what they were doing, right? They're like, hey, Make us gods. He makes this golden calf. And they're like, oh, this calf is going to lead us everywhere we go. And we're going to worship it. And we're going to thank the little golden calf for bringing us out of Egypt. Look at verse 7 and 8. Because, by the way, when we start to uh, be involved in idol worship, it gets the attention of God. It gets his attention real quick. In verse number 7 and 8, God tells Moses, he says, Get thee down. He says, hey, it's been nice chatting with you. It's time for you to get down off of this mountain. He says, get you down. For thy people, which thou brought us out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. God says idol worship corrupts. He says they've corrupted themselves and they've turned aside. Watch this quickly. It didn't take them long. He says, I just brought you out of Egypt. It didn't take them long. They've corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. And they have made a molten calf. And watch what he says next. And have, what do he say? Have worshipped it. They've worshipped it. And have sacrificed thereunto and said, But these be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Listen, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, you can read on in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Scripture reveals the error of wanting a golden calf or anything for that matter as a means of worshiping God. Oh, we have to be careful. But here's the deal. The people back then, and I fear in many ways in 2024, the people back then, and even to some degree people in 2024... They wanted something they could see. They wanted something they could feel. Which is why we have to be careful of letting that green stuff become something we worship. It was something they could see, something they could feel, something they could touch and experience. But it was idolatry and God did not accept it. And as a result, if you remember, thousands died. Thousands died. You can read all about it. We've got to be careful. We must be resolved never to put anything before or between us and God. So there was insincere, ignorant, improper, idolatrous worship. And then another danger is inferior worship. This is the last danger that I'll share. But Malachi, he's writing to the Jewish people after their exile in Babylon. And he's writing to them, quite frankly, 
and he's telling them, he's, he's, he's saying, how, how, he says, how have you let your worship of God become so broken? He says, your worship has been broken. And uh, by the time he comes on the scene, if you remember in Malachi chapter 1, the people are going through the motions, so to speak, in their worship of God. In fact, they were making animal sacrifices to God, uh, to be honest, that would not even be accepted uh, with the government to pay their taxes. They were, they were offering things that wouldn't even be accepted uh, by the Commonwealth of Virginia to pay a tax. And, and this is what they were doing. And so Malachi, he says, hey, listen, you guys are giving to God your leftovers. That's not worship. That's not, that's not worshiping him. And so uh, I just put down here, if and when God is truly being worshiped, he's going to receive our very best, not our leftovers. And that's not just talking. I know some people, when I say that, they go, oh, yeah, Malachi. Isn't he the one that said to bring the tithes into the storehouse? I know where the pastor's going with this. No, 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 you have no clue. I'm talking about that God should not get our leftovers of anything. He ought to get our very best. Can I, can I just say this? Let, let's take a poll. You, do you know... Upward basketball, there, and, and there are people here visiting from our upward basketball, so I'm not going to like, be like, are you involved with upward basketball? That's not it. It takes a lot of effort. And I dare say there are people sitting in this room among you who are tired today. Somebody, somebody identify with me. Anybody tired today? who served on upper basketball or anything else. Maybe, maybe, you didn't, maybe you didn't serve upper basketball, but you'd say, I'm tired. Somebody, who's tired? You know, when I was a little boy, my granddaddy used to remind me that about 98% of the work that was done was always done by tired people. That's just the way it is. But you know, the opportunity is so great. So great to love on families from our community, to, to remind those that are in our community, hey, hello, we love you. We actually love you. We want you to come and enjoy the trip with us. We want you to come and, and be a part of what's going on at Battlefield, and, and we want you to have a relationship with Jesus. That's a pretty cool thing that we get to do. And yet every year, this is not a knock, but every year it seems like there's always one who likes to spread the negativity. Well, I'm not really a fan of upward basketball. And you know, typically the ones who say they're not a fan of upward basketball are the ones who have never been involved with upward basketball. I'm just being honest with you. The ones who say they don't want an Awana Bible Club are typically the ones who never served as an Awana Bible Club leader. The ones who don't want to be in the choir and say Chad's foolish are the ones who never sing in the choir. <laughs> well, maybe there are some people in the choir that say that too, Chad. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. The reality is, guys, we have to be careful with these things of improper worship, idolatrous worship, insincere worship, and on and on. And we have an opportunity each and every day to worship the Lord. It's been said that wrong worship is actually worse than no worship at all. You can go to Revelation and look at the lukewarm person, right? And hear what Jesus has to say there. So God does not accept these, but what does the worship look like that God accepts. And so here, write them down quickly. He accepts worship that is realized through our obedience. He accepts worship that is realized through our obedience. Scripture teaches us a valuable lesson early on about what worship is all about. 
and it does so in the, it, you don't, may not have ever thought of it this way, but it does so in the story of Cain and Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, you remember the two boys, they bring sacrifices to the Lord. And in verse number 4 and 5, the Bible states that the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And so Cain's problem, among others, he had some other problems, but among others, his problem was that he demanded God's approval. He wanted God to approve of his worship, even though he knew he knew he was, he was offering something that was unacceptable. It was an unacceptable uh, form of worship. Why? Because he was not walking in obedience to what God had told him to do. And we looked at that in our study on that. On the other hand, you hear the story, you got Cain's uh, representation of it, and the, the reality is that obedient worship was, was not dictating Cain's actions, but on the other hand, obedience did dictate the actions of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 22, we all can detect true worship. Uh, God tells Abraham, you remember the story, he says, hey, he says, I need you to take uh, your only son Isaac, the one you love, I need you to take him up onto the mountain and sacrifice your son. Right, And so you can hypothesize what Abraham's thinking at the moment, but the very next verse after God uh, uh, tells him that, in, in Genesis 22-3, the Bible says this, it reveals that Abraham immediately obeys. He immediately, he takes steps to obey what God has said to him. And then in verse number 5, we read, it says, And Abraham said to his young men, he said, Abide here with the ass or the donkey. He said, And I and the lad will go yonder, watch what he says, and worship, and then we'll come again unto you. So without saying it, Abraham's swift obedience, his swift obedience here is teaching us a valuable lesson about worship. You say, what's the point? Well, if you remember, if you look in Hebrews chapter 11, you can look in verse number 10, you can look in verse number 16, 17, 18, and 19 of Hebrews chapter 11, you find that Abraham actually, watch this, it's pretty cool. He believed in the resurrection before the resurrection ever took place. So what are you talking about? He believed in the resurrection. Do, do, you, do you see the picture? So Abraham tells his two men back in Genesis 22, he says, hey, you guys stay here with the animals. He said, the, the boy and I, we're going to go up on the mountain and we're going to worship and we will return. Abraham's saying in that moment, he says, if I have to bring the, the knife down into my son's chest, I believe that God has the power to raise him up again so much so that we are going to come back down from the mountain together. Our worship, our worship is realized through our obedience, our heartfelt obedience to God. And in faith, Abraham, he obediently worships the Lord. The psalmist declared it this way in Psalm 95. He said, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pastor and the sheep of his hand. Oh, listen, when we worship the Lord, we need to do so. We need to do so like Abraham did by submitting to God's will, submitting to God's ways. Recognize that he is in charge no matter what he asks us to do. Oh, friends, it's a privilege to worship the Lord. One person. It's a privilege to worship the Lord. 
But I dare say it's also a responsibility. It's a privilege, but it's a responsibility. Well, may we be resolved to worship by walking in obedience. Uh, secondly, God also accepts worship that is revealed in our humble adoration. It's been said that true worship is a valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. In fact, biblically, we find that in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the words that are most often translated as the word worship literally means to depress. That is, prostrate reflexively to God, to bow down, to crouch, to fall down flat, humbly beseech, do reverence to, or adore. Worship is all about adoring God and only God. Therefore, worship has to do with ascribing, watch this, you've heard it this way before, ascribing worth-ship to the one who is worthy. In fact, Chad, I'm going to confess, I messed up on the song this morning in the choir. There's a little phrase that comes out and we're supposed to sing you are holy. I sang, and it just came out naturally. You are worthy. I'm sorry, but I sang worthy. And then after I sang it and looked at the screen, I was like, oh, I just messed up. But I don't think it was a mess up. Because my mind and my heart's been thinking about this topic of worship and ascribing worthiness. Listen, he doesn't need you and me to ascribe his worthiness, but it ought to be our response. In Revelation chapter 4, in verses uh, 1 and following, notice this is John. He's given this glimpse uh, of, of heaven. He says, And after this I looked and beheld, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was there of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee the things which must be hereafter. And I immediately, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Oh, wow. And he that sat was to look upon like as jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Front and back is what he's talking about and the first beast was like a lion and the second like a calf and the third had a face as a man and the fourth was beast was like a flying eagle and the four beasts which had on them six wings about him and they were full of eyes within and they had rest day nor night saying watch it I referenced this last week saying holy 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 Lord God Almighty which was and is and is to come. And in verse number 9. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever. The four and twenty elders. Watch it. Here it comes. They fall down before him that sat on the throne. And they worship him. Can I tell you? We'll not only worship him now. But we will worship him forever. We might as well get good at it now. You might as well practice now. It says, and they worshiped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Oh, be careful of thinking about all the crowns you're going to get. Because if you get a bunch, you're just going to throw them back at the feet of him who is worthy. Verse 11 says, they said, thou art worthy, O Lord, 
to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Since you and I stand on this side of the cross, our worship should be a celebration, not some somber salutation. Oh, praise the Lord. He's so good to me. You ought to celebrate. Oh, because right now while we're here, there's a celebration going on. Party, if you please. In Christ, if you are in Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. So when we gather for corporate worship, when we gather to express our worship together, when we admonish and encourage one another, when we do this, oh, we gather to celebrate the Savior. Oh, by Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise God continually, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Our worship will be revealed on a daily basis, not just on Sunday. It's going to be revealed on a daily basis by our humble adoration to our great King and God, Jesus Christ. Yeah, our worship, God accepts worship that's realized through our obedience. He accepts worship that is revealed in our humble adoration. And then I got to close. He's worshiped. Our worship, he accepts worship, if you please, that is reflected by our whole life. He accepts worship that is reflected by our whole lives. And I want you to look at one other passage, Romans chapter 12. Very familiar couple of verses of scripture. Romans chapter 12. He accepts worship that is reflected by our whole life. And then we're going to wrap it up. Paul writing here. To the believers in Rome, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, look at verse 1. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Watch what he says, which is your reasonable service. But then he goes on in verse number 2, and he says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, watch what's going to happen. He says, you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind as, as the more you get into God, the more you worship God, the more you walk with God, the more you obey God, the more that you adore him. Watch. He says, you're going to be transformed. Your mind is going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you, he says, he goes on here, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20, he says that our lives, which by the way, consequently have been bought with a high price when Jesus died on the cross. He says our lives, they actually should be used to glorify God. That's what worship is all about. On a daily basis, allowing our lives to bring glory and honor to our Lord and Savior. Here in Romans chapter 12, he says that presenting our bodies or our lives as a living sacrifice is our reasonable service. What's important in this verse is to note that the word service comes from the Greek word latreia, watch it, meaning ministration of God, watch it, that is worship. It is your reasonable service to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. 
Paul is saying, when you surrender your life, when you execute your life in that way, what you are doing is you are worshiping God. It's reasonable to worship God in that regard. That's what he's saying. Because A.W. Tozer, he also said this about worship. He said, I can safely say on the authority that of all that has been revealed in the word of God, that if any man or woman on this earth who is bored or turned off with worship is not ready for heaven. Our obedience, our adoration, our humble adoration in our lives are acceptable to God. And he's looking for us to worship him in this way. You may recall at the beginning, I said we're going to have to make a choice. We're either going to let the word of God govern our lives or direct our lives, or we're going to let the words of man, we're going to let what we say govern our lives. Folks, I implore you, I beg you, listen, if we don't get this right, if, if, if I don't understand worship in the context of what Scripture says, to walk in obedience, to humbly adore God, and to offer my life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, if I don't get that right, there's no way that I manage well the time that he gives me. If I don't get this right, there's no way that I'm going to have a deep appreciation for the truth that we talked about. If I don't get this right, it, it goes on and on, right? If I don't get my worship right, I'm never going to want to serve the Lord. If I don't get my worship right, I'm never going to watch what comes out or put a, a bridle on my lips, right? This must be the priority of our lives to worship him through our obedience and through our adoration and through the very depths of our lives day in and day out. And I pray, and I pray that you'll do it. You say, how do I do it? One day at a time, walking with the Lord. How about wake up tomorrow and give God the glory? You say, you don't know how bad my body hurts. I do. I've been there, done that. You say, you don't know what I'm going through. I'm going through uh, the midst of a big old valley. I've been through a number of valleys too. I'm not trying to equate my problems or my valleys with your valleys. But there, everyone in this room, we've all been through valleys. And you know what I know? I'm standing on the other side of the valley. God brought me through it. And if you're sitting here, he brought you through that valley too. Oh, we've been that way before. We can walk, we can walk in obedience to his word. We can worship him just on a daily basis by trusting in him a little bit more. A little bit more. God, just, just help me get through the next two seconds. Maybe sometimes that's what you have to boil it down to. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, can I tell you that the reason we talk about worship is because he is worthy to be worshipped. The reason we worship the Lord in spirit and truth is because he loved you and he gave himself for you. The Bible says that Jesus came and he died on the cross. He gave up his own life, right, for you and for the sins of many. Listen, if you have never trusted Christ You'll never get this idea of worship right until you begin a right relationship with him. I encourage you today, if you're not a believer, but you know you've heard the word of God and the spirit of God is impressing upon your heart the need to have a relationship with Jesus, call out upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says, 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't walk out of here without Jesus. What a mistake that would be. But listen, if you're a believer, I pray that you will determine, be strongly determined or resolved, as we've been saying, to worship him today and every day. Father, we love you. We thank you for the time that we've had in your word. God, as we open up this time of invitation, you know the hearts and you know the needs of your people. Many of our folks recuperating and recovering from surgeries, from illnesses, and, and some that are facing surgeries, some that are going through serious medical testings. Lord, you know the answers. And Lord, as we await to hear the answers, Lord, we put our faith and our trust and our confidence in you, knowing that to live is Christ but to die is gain. And so, Lord, help us to live with an eye on eternity, knowing that soon and very soon we will be with you. Lord, help us to honor you while we have the breath in our bodies to do so. And we'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name.